When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Revived TSL podcast, back, to, back after about four months out of commission. This is uh, TSL general manager and founder, Will Stewart, but I am not going to be your podcast host. We have a new podcast host to announce, but before we do that, let me tell you, as always, the TSL podcast is sponsored by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DOI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. They have offices in Blacksburg and Radford, and they can serve the whole Commonwealth from there. So if you need help from uh, Fisher Law Firm, call toll-free 1-800-680-7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. And we certainly appreciate their sponsorship. Uh, Jonathan Fisher is a 1998 Virginia Tech grad. They've been sponsors of Tech Sideline for, in Internet terms, a really long time, four or five years. You know, So one of our, definitely our longest standing sponsor and one of our, one of our first, actually. So, without further ado, let me introduce our new TSL podcast host, Mr. Evan Hughes. And Evan is a sophomore in, uh, I'll let you say, Evan, say hi to everybody. What's going on, Tech Sideline fans? So excited to be a part of this uh, terrific team, this awesome podcast, and and looking forward to a great uh, start to the school year. So, what is your major? Tell everybody what your major is. I am a uh, proud multimedia journalism major, but a part of the sports media and analytics uh, concentration and minor started by Bill Roth and uh, uh, it's been awesome the last two years watching it grow and every day it just keeps getting better. So Evan is one of Bill's rock stars and as you can tell my from my shaky beginning to the podcast that's why Evan's here he's going to handle hosting the podcast for us. So tell us about your background you're actually for a guy who's just coming out of your freshman year getting ready to start your sophomore year you're pretty accomplished. Um, What kind of stuff did you do last year and tell us about your summer that you just completed? Last year was a uh, terrific freshman year. I felt very lucky to be given a lot of opportunities early on in my college career. Uh, Last year I served as the voice of Virginia Tech softball and did work on the ACC Network Extra, ESPN3 streaming of the softball games. I traveled with them uh, to Liberty Radford Longwood, went with them to the ACC softball championship in Atlanta, Georgia. Did some work for um, Hokiesports.com, calling games on radio style there. Uh, And then I'm part of the uh, Virginia Tech IMG internship working with uh, Andrew Allegretta who heads that up and we get together once a week and we have our practices and uh, getting better in the play-by-play side and then this summer uh, John Laser uh, hooked me up uh, with a great spot in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota. Uh, the St. Cloud Rocks a part of the Northwoods League. It's a 20-team summer collegiate baseball league where uh, these college coaches will send their players of course, they're playing an aluminum bat league, so they go play wood bat. They are in front of MLB scouts throughout the whole summer, and we called 72 games in 77 days. So it wow. was quite a grind. We went over. We were in Canada, North Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and it was a terrific, terrific experience. I feel so much uh, more polished. I think coming back. And don't uh, be bashful. You were sportscaster of the year in your division. 
And this is 20 teams. I didn't know it was that many. I figured, oh, it's probably eight. You know, that's ten, ten in each division. So wow. Um, okay. It, so it was ten great, out of your division. All right. Yeah. Um, excellent. So uh, where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Rockville, Virginia, uh, which is in Hanover County, so just outside of uh, Richmond, Virginia, from the 804. And uh, my dad played uh, soccer here at Virginia Tech in the 80s under Jerry Shanae, and uh, I've been a Virginia Tech fan all of my life. So this is a dream come true for me to get to come to my dream school, uh, but also work towards my profession and, and wanting to become a journalist and a sports broadcaster. So you grew up listening to Bill Roth, right? And now, and now you get to take classes under him, get tutored by him and all that stuff. That, that's excellent. All right, so folks, with that, I will turn it over to Evan. He is... Um, He's got his whole list of uh, subjects to go over here. So this is our first uh, podcast. I don't know, I don't know, guys, if we're going to get to talking about Florida State much. I think we're going to kind of, you know, recap a lot of the storylines out of the summer, uh, spring and summer. So, uh, Evan, go ahead, take it away. Well, my first thing for you guys is this was a big summer for Tech Sideline. You guys had a lot going on. Uh, first of all, you guys have moved from Radford. You are in Blacksburg. So how does it feel to have your new office space? Oh, you know, I meant to say when, when we opened up that we were coming from the uh, shiny new uh, studio here at the, in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Uh, it has been fantastic being over here. Uh, we uh, had our office in uh, Radford for, I think it was 14 years in the Davis Law Firm building. Bev and Richie Davis are good friends of mine. I've known them since I was five years old, and I really appreciate, you know, being able to rent at their place, and uh, it, it served a real valuable purpose for us. But we just felt it was time to come over and be in Blacksburg. And, uh, yeah, the rent's a little steeper over here, but it's not, it's actually not too bad. And, and our office here at the Corporate Research Center is really nice. You know, it's it's right down at the end of the hall. I, I promise, fingers crossed, nobody's going to interrupt us while we're recording this podcast, you know. The view out the window is fantastic. So uh, uh, it's given Chris Coleman a much shorter commute, you know, and given me a longer one. It's a shorter commute, but it's also a more annoying commute because of this one stoplight on Main Street. It's just terrible. And actually, I figured out that it's two stoplights. The one coming out from Ellet onto Main Street is a really, really long stoplight, too. So it actually took me like 11 minutes to get to work today, and I live two miles away. It's just so this is the stoplight that, if you're familiar with Blacksburg, it's uh, South Main Street where it intersects uh, uh, out, out of the Corporate Research Center. Tech, drive. Yeah, something, something. Where Wolverine is, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. If you get caught at that light, you're going to sit there. I have timed it two minutes and 43 seconds, and that's just – Is it really? That's an insanely long time to sit at a light. Well, I'm, I'm getting used to the uh, Blacksburg Transit uh, living off campus, and you'd think it's a pretty easy commute, but you just never know uh, with the Blacksburg Transit. Yeah, and, and I got I got caught up in traffic yesterday. I made the mistake of going down Washington Street about 5.30 in the evening. It took me 15 minutes to get from one end to the other, so I'm learning also. And also, it saves a lot of gas money not <laughs> driving to Radford every day. Well, another big exciting thing about Tech Sideline this summer was the addition of Corey Van Dyke as your football beat writer. Corey's actually a good friend of mine, also from the 804 uh, in Richmond, Virginia, a very talented writer. And how excited are you to have him on board, and how has he been uh, coverage-wise since he's been added to the team? He's been, uh, man, I hope Corey's not listening. He's been better than I thought he'd be, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't mean that as a, as a you know, because Corey had been covering baseball for us for a couple of years, but... Uh, uh, his football work, uh, see, I don't know enough about baseball to read his stuff and really, you know, say how good it is. But when he started covering football for us, the, the amount of research he does, you know, and, and 
anybody can go to the press conference and get the quotes. We all do that. And unfortunately, we all get the same quotes these days. But what Corey wraps around it is, is excellent. He does a lot of research. He provides a lot of context. And that's not easy for a guy who is, number one, young and hasn't been observing Virginia Tech football and stuff as long as Chris and I have. And number two, has a class schedule and all of that sort of thing. You know, So I've, I've been real impressed. And and that all comes out of, you know, uh, working closely with Bill Roth and learning more about the sports media and analytics program and uh, getting to know more of his guys. Uh, Corey's one of his guys. You're one of his guys. So, uh, yeah, we're excited about it. Yeah, I learned from uh, editing and reading Corey's work covering the baseball team for Tech Sideline that he was very easy to manage. He always did a great job of his research, uh, knowing what he was going to write about, asking good questions and things like that. There, you know, the only question was, does he know as much about football as he does about baseball? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. He's done yeah. a fantastic job. Yeah. And maybe the biggest news of the Tech Sideline offseason is what I'm going to call it, is news that was made official today uh, by Virginia Tech. And, Will, I'll let you explain this, uh, something that as someone who's in the SMA program and a comm major, this is unbelievable what Tech Sideline is doing. You guys are going to be bringing a scholarship into the program and speaking on behalf of my fellow students uh, in the comm department, i just so thankful um, and excited about the uh, what Tech Sideline is doing in our comm department. Can you explain a little bit more? So yes, uh, I think Bill started up the uh, program in 2016. Does that sound correct? So it's a program, I guess, it's starting its third year. And, uh, you know, Bill... Uh, Bill came in and was on the podcast last December, told us about the program, and we, we went and spoke to one of his classes um, also sometime in that time frame last fall. So in, in talking to Bill, you know, we, we learned what it was he was trying to do. And, and listen, I don't want to put thoughts in Bill's head, but, it, but any of you who are thinking that he may go in, back into broadcasting someday, I don't think that's going to happen. He's really excited about what he's doing. Now, as a professor of practice, that's his title, he has to continue to practice his craft. So he's doing things like uh, you know, football games for ESPN. He will continue to go out and, uh, and broadcast and do assignments to continue to stay on top of things and trends and all that and to just experience different things. You know, he told me that working in te television, as you can imagine, is very different than working in, uh, in radio. So he will continue to work, but I don't see Bill going to be a full-time play-by-play guy uh, at, at any point in the future. And again, this is me putting, putting words in his mouth and thoughts in his head, just being around him. He's really excited about what he's doing. And in talking to him, I got, uh, um, you know, I, I was impressed with some of the students he was introducing me to, guys like you and Corey and, and some other guys, and, and, and girls, women, frankly. You know, and but but I felt that in talk and he you know he didn't say this to me, but I just started thinking uh, he's got a fledgling program and he's trying to recruit good students, and he's going up against in in the most uh, extreme cases the likes of Northwestern and Syracuse, you know, and those are excellent programs. They've got a lot of financial backing, you know. So it occurred to me, um, you know, Bill's a very good friend of mine. He's always been good to me going way back to 1997 when I first met him. Um, one of the things I said on our message board today was, I remember when I was first starting what was called Hokie Central at the time, you know, the internet was new and the establishment, I'm using air quotes here, the establishment did not take very kindly to, you know, what was perceived as guys in their basement, you know, in their underwear, you know, writing about sports. And I get that. I actually understand that. 
So there was a lot of reaction from established uh, the establishment at Virginia Tech Athletics and among the media of these people are not professionals, what the heck is that? But there were two guys who were always very nice to me back then. One of them was Mike Harris, who worked at the Virginia Tech beat for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And one of them was Bill. You know, I, I, uh, I started in 1996. I requested an interview with Bill in 1997, and he granted it. And, and I remember, folks, I don't remember anything these days at my age. I remember clearly interviewing Bill that day and what we talked about. And that was the first big-time interview I ever got. So he's always been really good to us. So in looking at what he was trying to do, it's 21 years later. But when you treat people right, this stuff comes around. So I got to thinking, what can we do to help Bill? And on a personal level, I've always wanted to do more than I do in terms of, uh, I don't know, just philanthropy is not a big thing with me because I don't have a lot of money. But, you know, just in terms of service and that sort of thing. So something just clicked. It's like this is a chance to give back. This is a chance to help out a friend of mine who helped me out a long time ago. So that's what that's about, uh, and it's um, it's out of the box thinking, you know. Uh, I, and I don't even remember where it really came from. And as a matter of fact, there was a day where, after we'd envisioned it and we talked to Bill ab- about it, and it was becoming a reality. I actually asked Chris Coleman one day. I said, "Was that my idea or yours?" You know. And 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 my point is that it just kind of happened. Hey, you know? we were sitting in the office one day, and I forget what we were talking about, and you said something like, "What if we endowed a scholarship?" Bill Ross department and I'm like that sounds like a really good idea and it just and you know normally we kick ideas around and and how how long have we talked about a podcast two or three years and at least and then we finally did here we are well this time it didn't take very long at all once we decided that was the direction to go it it took off and and what a way for you guys to leave another legacy with tech sideline yeah so I, so right before we st- right before we started on the recorder here i was talking to uh, evan and i was saying you know i'm 53 years old and you start to think about what am i doing here you know what's what's you know i'm going to think about this a lot more when i'm 70 and 80 but you start thinking what am i going to leave behind um and yes i'm going to leave behind techsideline.com it's something i've been running for 22 years now um but, you know, even that, you don't know what's going to happen after you step back and you say, I'm done. But one of the cool things about endowing a scholarship is it, it literally lasts forever. As long as, Virginia, as long as Virginia Tech lasts, the scholarship will last. So, you know, the mechanics of it are that over the next five years, we will, uh, in our particular case, they're, they're all different, could change in the future. We're endowing, endowing a $100,000 scholarship, and that's uh, $20,000 a year over the next five years. And... We can swing that. You know, when you hear the term endowed scholarship, it's like, wow, you know, I'm just Joe working class. I don't have that kind of money. Um, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Like a friend of mine, Tom Beam, is going to endow a scholarship, what's called an emerging leader scholarship in the Corps of Cadets. Same deal, $100,000, $20,000 a year for five years. And Tom's been successful enough in business that he can afford to do that. So if there's anybody out there listening and you never considered this sort of thing, think about it. And also, if you want to, if you want to donate to our, ours, is called the Tech Sideline Endowed Scholarship for Sports Journalism. And in addition to the money we're putting in, you can donate as well. Um, you can add more to it, you know. And actually, you'll get credit for that. Uh, so, you know, if you're interested in that sort of thing, our our uh, our giving officer was a guy named Dan Cleveland. Dan works for the uh, College of uh, Liberal Arts and Human Sciences. I think is the name of it. 
If you're interested in exploring that more, contact Dan, Google him. I don't remember his email address right off the top of my head. Just do Dan Cleveland, Virginia Tech, and, and you'll get to him. You'll be able to communicate with him. And be sure to be following us on social media, of course, at Tech Sideline, to see the great article that was put out uh, this morning by Virginia Tech on their website. It was just really well it's, written. It's weird reading an article about yourself. <laughs> when you've written hundreds and thousands of articles and written about other people, it's it's weird seeing your own picture. But uh, i got to give it to Ray Meese, the photographer. He made me look tolerable. I am not a photogenic guy. He did a good job. Well, Will, Chris, we are just a couple of weeks away before we, uh, we start jumping in Blacksburg. The season just around the corner. Justin Fuente entering his third season in Blacksburg. Chris, I'll start with you. What seems to be the vibe around this team here in August right now? Yeah, I think Justin Fuente is pretty excited. And he seems excited last night on Tech Talk Live. He seemed excited at the ACC football kickoff down in Charlotte in the middle of July. And, you know, I ran the numbers this morning, and I believe 48 of the 79 scholarship players on the team are Justin Fuente recruits. Not not that the other guys aren't Justin Fuente's guys. I mean, if they're, if they're in the program, they're his yeah. guys. But these are the 48 are the, the guys that he specifically recruited. He got to know them when they were 16 years old, and he brought them into the program and things like that. So I think as time goes by, He's, he's, start, he's putting his stamp on the program more and more, and, and you're starting to see more and more of his guys making an impact. Now, there's still a long way to go because his oldest players, quite frankly, are true sophomores. And uh, it's just it's hard to expect a lot from freshmen and sophomores. And uh, there are only seven scholarship seniors on this team, and two of those were former walk-ons. Uh, Stephen Peoples and C.J. Carroll, I believe, are included in that group. So talking about a very very young team but when you have a young team you can't help but get excited because you know that yeah things in the short term you might not be operating at 100 percent efficiency but as those guys grow and they develop physically and mentally and learn to play together and develop chemistry then you got a chance to be a really good team a year or two down the road it's got to be unnerving to be following frank beamer making three and a half million a year and having thousands and thousands of eyes upon you and to be doing it with guys that aren't your guys um it's it's a transition period every coach has to go through you know and and uh i I just think that a head coach in that position just starts to feel a little better when more and more of the guys are his guys you know because it's one thing to sink or swim with guys you didn't recruit it's another thing to sink or swim with guys you did recruit. Even if you sink, at least you know it was your plan. You carried it out, and you just didn't—you know—it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Not because necessarily it was other guys, some somebody else's players that didn't didn't work out for you. And and he was—he's very careful not to say that at, at the uh, ACC uh, football kickoff in Charlotte. Chris, help me remember exactly what Justin he said. said. Uh, first, he he. Uh, he said something about not our guys. Then he said, well. He, he was talking about the 2016 recruiting class. Yeah, um, which, you know, was mostly re- was, was recruited by Frank Beamer's staff for the most part. 95% of that class was. And, you know, Fuente had to secure them and make sure they stayed in the class. But they weren't necessarily all of them guys that he would have gone out and recruited himself. So he, he, he kind of let it slip. He said, yeah, they weren't our guys, and then he, then he caught himself. He caught himself. <laughs> he said, well, they're, they're our guys. But, but basically what he meant was, you know, we, we didn't recruit those guys. And, you know, one of the things that I heard uh, after the 2016 season, 
between the end of the season and the bowl game, he sat down and, and the staff they basically determined that 25% of the players in the program were not ACC caliber players at that yeah. point. Yeah. Um, now, Virginia Tech had some star players in 2016, like Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges, Cam Phillips, Gerard Evans. That group was able to stay healthy and combine that with a good defense, and they won the Coastal Division. But the program did not have the depth. And you knew once that those guys cycled out of the program that unless a lot of freshmen became superstars overnight, there was going to be some drop back. And, and we saw that last year, and you're going to see it some more this year, quite frankly, before things really start taking off next year. Yeah, and so that, that cycles into something else that, that we want to talk about. I don't know if it's next or, or not, or segues into something else we want to talk about next. Um, you know, he one of the questions is their ranks, Virginia Tech is ranked 17th and 20th in the two polls. Is that too high? Is that too low? What do you think? And I think what people from a distance are doing is they're seeing what he did the first two years. He won 10 games. He won nine games. He did a good job. And they're seeing that, oh, he's in his third year. He's got his starting quarterback back. He's got Bud Foster. Hey, let's rank him 17th and 20th. I don't think this is an ordinary third year. I actually think, and I tell people all the time, Hokie fans don't want to hear me talk like this. You, you might see the program in terms of record bottom out a little bit this year. I'd love to be wrong. If they want to go out and win 10 or 11 games, that's great. And they're ahead of schedule with some of their young guys. But if you just look at the talent exodus out of the program, and unfortunately a lot of it was early. In the latter part of Frank's tenure, they recruited a lot of guys who were lightly recruited, but they also landed some really talented guys. And, man, those talented guys, I guess Wyatt Teller stayed all the, all the time, but the Edmonds brothers left early, Settle left early. Uh, Isaiah Ford left yeah. early, you know. You, know you, you talk about the guys that are seniors this year. They would be 2014-2015 recruits for the most part, except actually Chung and Faf, I believe, were 2013 recruits. Faf gray-shirted and, and Chung just ran his six-year of eligibility. So really, if you, those two guys plus the two walk-ons who are now scholarship players, there are really only three seniors on this team from the 2014 and 2015 classes, yeah. which, which shows there was a lot of star power in those classes. But there wasn't a lot of depth, and your Cam Phillipses are gone, and your and your Isaiah Fords are gone, and Bucky Hodges is gone, and there just wasn't much after that in those classes, and there wasn't enough to bridge the gap between the upperclassmen right now and the freshmen and sophomores that Fuente has brought in has brought in over the last two years, and that's why we're saying that this year, when Will says bottom out, he doesn't mean we're going to go. Tech is going to go five I, I, I was I was very yeah. clear to say record wise. Right. I'm, I'm talking seven or eight wins as yeah, opposed yeah, to nine yeah, or that, ten. That, that's that's very very possible. Um, but when Fuente said this last night, he was like, "We're still not quite where we need to be from a talent standpoint, but I really see things taking off next year." It's basically, I think that might have been his direct quote, um, and that's kind of what we're expecting too. Now, if you if you look around though, you know, it's not like the Coastal Division is is. There's a bunch of Alabamas and, and Ohio States and things like that. This is, Virginia Tech could win the Coastal Division this year. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Miami comes to Blacksburg. Georgia Tech comes to Blacksburg. Um, you know, uh, it's in Florida State, you know, let's face it, Florida State is is breaking in a new offense with a new quarterback, or maybe a new quarterback. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll Battle see. going on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so you, don't, you, you don't know exactly how it will go. I, I think, you know, Virginia Tech – did better probably than most people thought in Fuente's first year. Last year was maybe about uh, the, the same. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But I'd prefer Virginia Tech to have a few more juniors and, and kind of bridge that gap between these really young guys 
and the very few seniors on the team. But unfortunately, they, they don't have that luxury. So you're going to see a lot of youth at, cr at critical positions this year. And, and youth will get you excited, but youth will also make a mistake or two and lose you a couple of games throughout the course of the season. And they're going to need a lot of those freshmen and sophomores to step up. And I, this was just the list that off the top of my head. You look at the defense and just the total number of guys, however they left, Edmonds brothers, Tim Settle, Greg Stroman, Matua Pawaka, who someone I, I know he might not make it in the NFL, but you talk about a leader on the defense last year. That was Andrew Matua Pawaka. You know, Adonis Alexander, Mook Reynolds. I feel like despite so much uh, leaving on the defensive side that Justin Fuente has really handled this uh, offseason extremely well with, 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 with Bud Foster and his staff. It just seems like every time, whether it was Tim Settle leaving, which was a surprise to me, or someone being dismissed, that they have handled it extremely well. And that next man up mentality really is the way they're treating things right now. I, I do not by any stretch of the imagina imagination think that Tim Settle leaving early was a surprise to the coaching staff. No. Um, we had heard when he was a, when he was redshirting that it was possible he was going to be three and done. Yeah, and, and that, you know, and, and we did an article on him uh, uh, after he declared and before the draft, and he basically said that his plan was three years and done, so surely the coaches knew that. You're right, the fans at large didn't know that, you know, and, and I didn't know that, but you kind of figure that stuff out later. Talking a little bit more about this offseason, though, I, 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 going into year three, I would love to get your thoughts on this because, you know, it seems like from from the get-go that the relationship of Justin Fuente and Bud Foster has been as great as could be for someone who necessarily they weren't picked together from, from the beginning. You look at year three, and now this is 100% Justin Fuente's team. This is his program. You see their relationship now. How do you think, Chris, it has grown from 2016? You know, if, if Virginia Tech was a bigger program, this is 30 for 30 material. The, the, I know. The, the, the <laughs> it, re it really is. The changeover from Frank Beamer to, to Justin Fuente and with the Bud Foster dynamic. Are you listening to ACC Network? Exactly. How, about, how about ACC Storied, huh? Yes, you know, you, like you've got a million SEC storage shows. Let's do an ACC storage show on Beamer and, and Fuente. I think that would be a really good idea. I, I think you look at it from every way possible. I don't think it could have gone any better and still be going great right now. I can't envision a scenario where it could have gone better. Now, you don't know, you never know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but I can tell you that enough people are willing to hire Bud Foster and Bud, that he would be gone if he didn't want to be here. Right. Um, and. I think he's not the type who wants to sit around and work for somebody he doesn't like. So I think everything's good over there from what I can tell. And uh, I think both those guys deserve a lot of credit for checking their egos or what, what egos they could possibly have at the door. And then Whit Babcock for, for making that happen. And because that's, that's a very difficult situation to navigate. I mean, we sit here and say it's difficult, but even we as people who sit around a table and a desk and think about this all the time for a living. I don't think we can even envision all the scenarios where problems could pop up behind the scenes. So I think all all three of those guys, and, and not just those guys, but you know Charlie Wiles remaining on the staff, and uh, and all the support personnel that stayed, uh, the, uh, the recruiting staff like Thomas Gary st stuck around, and, and people like that. Uh, I think they all deserve a lot of credit for making that transition go as smoothly as possible. And we'll be talking more about the offseason and, and the defense with Bud Foster, the addition of Tyrone Nix to the coaching staff. You, you hear them uh, 
speak so highly of him and the impact he has had in such a short amount of time. But that was a tough hire, it felt like, just in a sense of the timing. It was tough to get somebody on a short term in the window that it happened to bring him in, and it feels like it's been a perfect fit from the start. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, Chris has done more thinking about this than I have, you know, and he actually wrote in a recent article that, that he feels that, no insult to Galen Scott, but he feels that uh, Nix is an upgrade over Scott. Um, and as far as the timing of it, why, why you, why you were, while you were framing that, I thought to myself, I wonder if in today's college football world where these, you know, he came from, uh, he, was, he was an analyst at Texas A&M, correct? There's a lot of that going on now where the big, rich programs have a lot of former head coaches and coordinators and things like that on their support staffs. It's really – Virginia Tech wasn't going to go out and hire a well-entrenched coordinator slash safeties coach slash whatever they were looking for. But there's probably a lot of those guys swimming around in these support staffs at these various programs. Um, so from one standpoint, the timing was odd. But from another standpoint – the, the pool's probably bigger than it was just 10 years ago before Saban created this model. You Particularly know. in June. In the past, there would be no pool at all in the, in the month of June. Because who wants to take over, really, after spring practice? Right. Yeah. And when they, when they promoted Justin Hamilton mm-hmm. and on an interim basis while they looked for Tyrone Nix, they probably just would have promoted Justin and left him there. Justin yeah. could have been left there. Uh, Cody Grimm would have, would have been fine there because he played in the NFL and he has – you know, plenty of experience playing in the, with Nicholas Bott in the Virginia Tech system. So what they said last night, that there were guys already in the program that he would have felt yeah. comfortable with in that position. And I think specifically he meant Justin Hamilton and Cody Grimm. And I think one last thing we have to touch on the offseason before we, we take a dive uh, into this team was the recruiting trail uh, throughout this offseason. And, and the guys that they are bringing into this program next year, there was a two- or three-week span where it just felt like there was a new – uh, player committing every single day. And that has to be very exciting. Again, talking about this being Justin Fuente's program now in year three, he is really getting it done on the recruiting trail. Yes, he is. Um, and a few years ago, I started analyzing Power 5 conference offers. It, it was a better way to judge recruiting than simple star rankings because Isaiah Ford was a three-star recruit that had about 25 Power 5 conference offers. And we had a couple of other three-star recruits who – his best other offer was BMI. And there's a difference there. But if you're just reading a recruiting site and you see three stars, you think that that's the same player. But I think you have, there has to be a deeper study there. And these days you're seeing Virginia Tech go head-to-head with some major schools and, and get some major recruits. I mean, Jacoby Pinckney, I mean, he, his finalists were Georgia and Alabama and Virginia Tech, and he picked Virginia Tech. And uh, there are several other guys like that. Quincy Patterson could have gone to Penn State and some places like that. Ohio State would be here. Um, so I, I think these days that recruiting, is, it's gotten so specialized because of all these camps. It's, it's tougher to find diamonds in the rough these days because all these kids are going to camp and they're all running against Division One competition. And you can see how big a kid is and how fast he is and, and how he compares athletically to other Division One prospects. Um, there's just there are very few guys that you don't know anything about heading into their senior year anymore. So that makes it imperative that you have a good enough recruiting staff that you're able to go head to head with other Power Five programs for recruits. And Virginia Tech has been able to accomplish that the last couple of years under Justin Fuente. 
Will, you've seen the recruiting trail of Virginia Tech for quite some time. You know how important the 757 is, and that was a if not one of the biggest priorities I feel like for Justin Fuente when he was hired was to reestablish Virginia Tech in that region and he really seems like credit to him and his entire staff that Virginia Tech is doing a great job over in the Tidewater region and getting those 757 uh, recruits back into Blacksburg and that that's a that's a lot tougher row to hoe notice I didn't say road to hoe it's a row you're 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 hoeing a row in a gardener it's tough <laughs> A lot tougher road to hoe than it used to be. You know, one, I've, I've probably written this in articles, but I think I think Frank Beamer created the concept of the seven five seven because Virginia Tech started having a very successful program, you know, particularly with Michael Vick in the late nineties, and people started paying attention. Oh, where are they getting their players from? You know, and uh, Virginia Tech at the time was getting a ton of players from the seven five seven, and it wasn't common to uh you know refer to people as being from their area code i think that was a thing that reggie bush started at uh, usc started wearing the eye patch with uh, whatever his area code was so it became a thing you know and there there had always been schools coming in and poaching here and there but in the mid-2000s that's when they really started focusing on it and sec schools started coming in florida state started coming in and and it's it's a tough battle. It's it's not as easy as it used to be. And uh, I I also think you have to be a little pickier these days who you take and don't take. You know, you never know when things will go south on you. Um, but to to get you know I, I, I think to kind of change the subject a little bit, the thing about recruiting that that I see that uh, that I'm liking is recruiting the offensive lineman. Um, running back continues to be an area where. Um, you know, if, if James Franklin would disappear off the face of the earth, I, I would like Virginia Tech's in-state recruiting prospects a lot more th th this day and time. So, you know, there, there's, there's good and bad, but I think Chris is right overall. The talent level is going up, and I think it's going up. Uh, as a longtime observer of the program, it's interesting to me. It feels like they have about 30 wide receivers on the team right now and about seven defensive tackles. used to be the other way around. Right. You'd, have, you'd have a whole mess of defensive tackles, and Frank would be like, well, you, you, and you can be my receivers, you know. So it's uh, it's been interesting to watch and uh, watch uh, watch how things have evolved. And I think the next step for him is uh, to start winning, to start winning some high-profile games, start looking sexy. You know, um, Virginia Tech averaged 17 points a game over the last six games last year. That's not sexy. the The UVA game was on a, I think on a was it on a Friday night on ESPN. Yeah. Ten nothing. Woohoo! That was a barn burner. Um, so I think, I think they've laid the, all the groundwork they can lay. I think they just need to start winning now and then start being perceived as a sexier program because that sure as heck helped Frank. He was already doing a pretty good job recruiting, but when they really started winning was when things took off. Yeah, when uh, they started winning in 1999 and 2000, that laid the groundwork for that you know, 2001 class that featured Kevin Jones and Brian Randall and D'Angelo Hall. And that 2003 class where Virginia Tech went out to the 757 and pulled in three of the top four players out there, Xavier Weebly, Vince Hall. Um, and Chris, Chris Ellis, Ellis, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was a big-time group of football players. And, you know, you go back, you were talking about the 757 and how Frank Beamer created that, and you're absolutely right. And that goes back really to the 2005 season when the times that year Virginia Tech's starting defense featured 11 Virginians, or excuse me, 10 Virginians, because uh, Roland Minor was from D.C., he started in one of the cornerback spots. But of those ten Virginians, I think seven or eight were from the 757, and they would wear the 757 eye black 
you know, like you see baseball players wear an eye black. Well, the football players were doing that with seven five seven, and that's where the seven five seven identity was really created in the mid in the early to mid two thousands at Virginia Tech, um, which and that which makes it kind of interesting that the seven five seven slowly slipped away from Virginia Tech in, in, in recruiting there for a while, and uh, and, I, and I think now that. You know, Bishop Sullivan's out there, and I think there's more recruiting going on from a high school perspective, not necessarily a college perspective. I, I think things are tougher on Virginia Tech out there now these days because more uh, more schools are targeting the region. So for, in a way, Virginia Tech is kind of a victim of their own success yeah, when yeah. it comes to recruiting the 757. But, you know, they were able to go out and get Devin Hunter, who's an impact player. Hezekiah Grimsley, uh, I think, is going to play really well for them this year. Keyshawn Artis is a linebacker that I really like. So, uh they're still, they're still getting their share of guys. And, and quite frankly, a lot of guys that are going elsewhere these days from the 757, you know, with Levante Taylor and a couple other guys being the exception, we're seeing a lot of them flame out. And I'm not sure why that is. And because I, I, I think sometimes some of those guys, they're, they're going to unstable places. They're, they're making uh, bad decisions. And I think Virginia Tech's a very stable place for those guys right now. And you talk about the high profile games and, and winning those. Virginia Tech has the opportunities this year. They have Miami. They have Notre Dame in Blacksburg. If they were able to get one, if they were able to get two of those, that that would be huge. So um, one of the things that I've randomly looked up, somebody asked on our message board, you know, what's Virginia Tech's record when uh, game days in town? Not in town, but not just in Blacksburg, but wherever they're playing. So yeah, there's an excellent game day Wikipedia page, so I went and looked it up. And Virginia Tech is 4-10. and 10 in games played, you know, where game day was in the house. That includes 0-6 in the last six. And and I think the last game day game that Virginia Tech won was the 2007 ECU game. Which normally would not – game day would not. And that was a faux game day game, uh, you know. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about is get that win against Florida State on Labor Day night. Get the win against uh, Notre Dame in, in – mid-late October, whenever that is. Yeah, and here's the unfortunate part of that is Virginia Tech might be too young to get those wins this year. Yeah. But look at their schedule next year. Is there even an opportunity? All I mean, the home schedule is horrible. So any big game you play is going to be on the road. Miami on the road. Miami on the road. And we don't even we don't know that Miami will be good next year. I mean, sure they will be. They're recruiting very well. But we don't know anything about their quarterback situation past this year. Um so will Virginia Tech even have like a really big opportunity next year for one of those big big game wins as we as we like to call it, unless they make the ACC championship game and play Clemson right. or play yeah. Florida State, and and you more than likely need to win that game to make right. a big statement. Right, right. Yeah, there there comes a point where again, if you want to be a sexy program, you got to start winning those games. You know, and it, it's I know that's brilliant. I I like to do the Captain Obvious reporting several times during a podcast, and there it was. Well, last thing, and we'll give a little bit of tease of what we're going to be talking about next week, kind of going around the offense and the defense and, and, and giving a couple of in-depth looks. But I, I thought that it'd be fair to do it on this one just because of the quarterback position. You could spend a lot of time talking about that position any podcast. And, you know, Justin Fuente came out early this year. He declared him the starter, which was different from last year. And Josh Jackson, we all knew he was going to be the starter, but officially named him uh, before the week leading up to things. You guys have been around Josh. You guys were at ACC Media Days. Uh, he was the leader of an offense with a lot of underclassmen last year. So, Chris, I ask you this. How beneficial was it for Josh to be QB1 last year and work with the young guys 
and be a returner this year. It's extremely beneficial. Um, Josh is a calm guy by nature, but when you go through those battles already as a freshman with a lot of young players around you, I mean, Josh has faced a lot of adversity. I mean, Josh has, has learned what it's like to have success, and he's learned what it's like to fail, and he did that very early in his career. And uh, So I think that's important for his own personal development, and I think it's important for the development of the Wincats offense as a whole. You look back to last season, I remember the media last year. Every question to Justin Fuente was about the quarterbacks, quarterbacks, quarterbacks. And finally, Fuente got exasperated one day and said, look, I'm not worried about Josh Jackson. I'm worried about the guys that are around Josh Jackson. Um, and quite frankly, he was right because except for Cam Phillips, Virginia Tech did not have much to throw the football to last year. Or hand it off to. Or hand it off to. And, uh, uh, you know, because there were, there were, you know, Damon Hazleton was sitting out. There, there were some injuries. Uh things like that. I, I think when you look around at that wide receiver group, there might not be a, a, a established, experienced guy like Cam Phillips, but from top to bottom that is a much better group of wide receivers this year than it was a year ago. Uh, Deshaun McLeese, I think, established, him, established himself last season at the end of the year as Virginia Tech's top running back. So, I, 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 well, I'd like to have a, a dominant running back thrown in there. On the whole, I just feel much better about Virginia Tech's skill position talent this year than I did a year ago. I'm going to feel even better about it next year and the year after as, as those guys continue to get, to get experience because, you know, they're all still sophomores mostly. And they've said at the wide receiver position, I, th I think Cornelson and Fuente both said in some of the interviews this, this uh, uh, August that they want to go eight deep at the wide receiver position. And the feeling we get from them is that they feel like they go six deep right now, which yeah. is good. Well, I, no, I think that's time. accurate. If you go through the starters, uh, at least what we perceive to be the starters and what we saw that, that, that first day of practice, Damon Hazleton, the transfer from Ball State, he caught 55 passes as a true freshman at Ball State. Hezekiah Grimsley starting in the slot as a true sophomore. thought he played really well the last two games last year against UVA and Oklahoma State. And then Eric Kuma was a better player down the stretch last year. He's a junior. He's entering his third year in the program. He should be take, ready to take a step forward. And then you look at the second group. Phil Patterson's a redshirt sophomore. He was injured the first half of last year, uh, I thought, and I thought he played well against Oklahoma State when he was finally healthy, and he's in his third year in, in, in the program. And Sean Savoy in the slot is a true sophomore. He was Virginia Tech's second leading receiver last year as a true freshman. He's now a year older. And then you got Trey Turner, who was the highest rated recruit of last year's class. Trey Turner could have gone to Florida State. He could have gone to Penn State. You know, he could, he could have gone to Florida. He could have gone to a lot of high profile places, Ohio State, Notre Dame, places like that. He came to Virginia Tech. He's gonna play as a true freshman. So I just think the options at wide receiver are much, much better this year than they have been in the past. And, and I think he feels that way about the tight end position also. You know, he was talking about it last night. Um, it's funny, because he really likes James Mitchell but he also likes the guys in front of him. So he's, he's trying to figure out if Mitchell's going to play. He likes uh, – help me come up with the names. Oh, man, you know, Dalton Keene. Dalton Keene, Drake Dulius, uh, Chris Cunningham. Cunningham has been in the rotation for the last two years as a good, and is a good player. Dulius, they think, can be a major red zone threat for him. So it, it's weird. How many spots are there – can you create in a rotation for, for four tight ends? Sure. I remember back around – you know, the 1999-2000 era, Virginia Tech used three tight ends. They would use Browning, Wynn, Bob Slokowski, and Derek Carter. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to remember the third. I remembered Wynn and Slokowski. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, so, but then, but that was a more traditional. That was a offense. one. That was a one tight end yeah, offense. That, Guys got to be able yeah, to block. Exactly. They were they were all traditional tight ends doing the exact same thing. Um, 
So we'll see. I mean, James Mitchell, you look at him and you think, yeah, tight end H-back, but, man, you could really see that guy on the outside, too, as a big yeah. wide receiver. And same thing for uh, – so you like how you like how uh, we turned your question about a quarterback and just a rundown of the skill positions. I, I love it. And again, next week we're we're going to be talking all about it. So giving you a, even a more in depth preview of what we've got on yeah. tap uh, for next week. Well, well, we've got a couple of uh, minutes left, and I've got a couple of uh, fun questions. I always like to end right. uh, some podcasts with, and I'm fairly certain I saw one of you quote a, a tweet about this. So uh, I want to talk about Tyrod Taylor. Okay, uh, <laughs> Kyle Brandt. Did some great reporting uh, on this, and it's how you pronounce. And again, I, you know, being a, a hokey all my life, Tyrod. Tyrod, Tyrod did it, name. Mikey. Ty, exactly. But his mom calls him Tyrod, and he seems like he's he's okay with whatever anyone calls him. But I was listening to a C, uh, a sports update on the radio the other day, and they literally referred to him as Tyrod. Yeah, so fine. basically, they went around. He did some in-depth research going back to his high school days, to college, to the pros. And there's a great debate. Is the, the great hokey Tyrod or Tyrod Taylor? How do you say his name? So what did you think? I, because that caught me I'll, by surprise. I'll, I'll tell you a personal story. Um, Tyrod's dad, I'm gonna call, I call him Tyrod. I'm always going to call him Tyrod. I'm going to call him Tyrod as well. Tyrod's dad used to be a TSL subscriber when Tyrod was a player at Virginia Tech. And I used to talk to him on the phone several times during the season. Rodney would make those calls, not Chris. Right, Rodney <laughs> would call me about things going on, about Tyrod and things like that, and games and everything. And we, we'd talk for – we'd, we'd talk on the phone for 20 or 30 minutes at a time sometimes. And he would always call his son Tyrod. So, as far as I'm concerned, he's Tyrod. See, see, but he says his mom calls him Tarad. See, so no, no, no. The whole thing about his mom calling him Tarad is she doesn't really call him by that name. She calls him by his middle name. So she doesn't say Tarad very often. It's not like she's like Tarad, Tarad, Tarad all day long. She calls him by his middle name, which I can't remember what he said it was. It, it was, it, was it Gil Brandt? Is that who did it? Uh, it was Kyle Brandt. Kyle Brandt. It was, it was about a five-minute-long piece, very funny. He did a lot of research. A lot of research. And, and he, he went to, like, what Frank called him, what Tyrod called himself. He even found a 2011 clip where, who was it, Carl Ravitch or somebody, called him Tarod, you know? Oh, it, was, um, it was Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen. So he had this chart where he had, like, six people on one side calling him Tyrod and four on the other side calling him Tarod. So. He went back to his, uh, his high school coach at Hampton. Yeah, to get Mike, information. Mike Smith. Yep. So I'm curious to see how will he be referred to when they're on SportsCenter given the highlights. Is, are they going to call him Tarod? Well, didn't the Cleveland Brown media organization come out, uh, the media relations people say it's officially Tarod? Oh, gosh. No. Well, in their media guide, uh, or maybe it was Buffalo's last year, it, it was spelled out Tyrod. Right. And, and Virginia Tech's old media guide's pronunciation guide, it's Tyrod. <laughs> I actually, went and, I took a, I took a screenshot of it the other day. I thought about joining in the Twitter war, but I chose not to. So, so those of you who listen to this podcast to this point, you're getting to the meat of it now, man. This is important this is stuff. Important. <laughs> Very important stuff. Uh, speaking of uh, Tyrod Taylor, he's been featured on Hard Knocks. Of course, he's been in the media a lot with just Baker Mayfield going to Cleveland. Have you guys had a chance to see any of the Hard Knocks? I've, I've watched a little bit of it. It's it. Uh, I watched most of the first episode. It, it struggles to hold my interest. I've started to fast forward to the parts where I can see Tyrod, and and I'm I'm really impressed with Tyrod's maturity, the way he relates to the fans. Um, I saw a clip. My gosh, what game was it? Oh, it was from the. Uh, 2010 ACC championship game where he had this Michael Vick-like run against Florida State 
and he's dancing around. The, you remember, the field was pretty slick that day. It was a really, really long run. He covered a lot of territory, and when he got knocked out of bounds, he was grinning. He had a smile on his face, you know, and I think that personifies Tyrod. He's, uh, he's been in some difficult situations. He has never um, lost his grace or his leadership, and uh, I think that's the, the most impressive thing about him. I think if you go back to Tyrod's first game that he ever played for Virginia Tech, it was in 2007 at LSU, and he was brought in in a situation where it was going to be impossible for him to deliver anything halfway decent. At LSU, the offensive line is awful. The offense itself, you know, let's go ahead and say it, was not particularly well. Uh, LSU's just foaming at the mouth. That was their moment. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was no chance of success. And Virginia Tech put him in that situation with no chance of success. Arguably, they shouldn't have done that, in my opinion, even looking back on that, throwing a true freshman to the wolves like that. But he handled that situation about as well as you could handle it. And it was all downhill from there, man. You never face anybody tougher than LSU's defense on the road in your first ever college game. And just the way he handled that situation, I thought showed a lot of maturity at the time as an 18-year-old. Um, and so it's, I'm not surprised he's had the success that he's had in the NFL. Um, I, I expect uh, – I, I, I think Baker Mayfield has talent. I also think Baker Mayfield has a little Johnny Manziel to him. Um, with some of the off-the-field off the stuff. I got to admit, on the field, he's looked pretty good. Yeah, he has. Uh, I think he has looked good. Um, but I think he's got a good good mentor in Tyrod. I think Tyrod's a very mature guy, and I think that will benefit Baker Mayfield. Um, I actually think the Browns can be a halfway decent team this year. I think they got some talent. Added. Would not shock me to see them finish second in that division. Wow. And, and, and there, was, there, was a, there was a bit that I thought the best part of the first episode was when uh, – um, Hugh Jackson, the Browns head coach, was talking to Baker Mayfield. And it was kind of subtle, but he said to him, you know, it was just they're out on the practice field and, and you couldn't even hear it unless it was mic'd up. It wasn't like he was yelling at him. He said something like, you see how number five comes in early? Well, they didn't say number. Those guys like, you see how five comes in early? And, and Baker's like, yeah, he, well, you know, he comes in early, does his own thing. And Hugh Jackson said something like, maybe you ought to pay attention to that and think about doing your own thing, you know. And because Tyrod's apparently coming in at 5.30, and, and, of course, Baker Mayfield's showing up later. And Hugh Jackson's holding him up as an example and making the point to him, watch this guy. That's, that's probably part of the reason Tyrod's there. You know, yeah. it's, it's weird to think of him as being a grizzled veteran, but he did turn 29 recently. Well, yeah. that's, that's ancient by NFL terms. <laughs> yeah. Tyrod's a mature guy. What did he do? He bought an RV. And that's the was that Tyrod that bought the yeah, RV? I guess yeah. it was Tyrod that bought the RV. And, uh, I don't know if he bought it or rented it. That's the quarterback's RV, only quarterbacks allowed. And that just that just shows you that he's a veteran. He's a veteran starter of the NFL who was capable of taking the bull by the horns at this point in his career. And I think he's going to be very valuable to Cleveland. You know, you sit there and you say you're not surprised he's lasted this long in the NFL. Well, you know, Brian Randall is a great guy too, and he didn't last very long in the NFL at all. Uh, I, I would watch Tyrod play, uh, you know, early in his career and uh, – he started out with the Ravens, correct? He did. He was yeah. a backup to Flacco for, what, four years? Won a Super Bowl. It, it, it was a while, you know, and, and he never looked comfortable to me. And then where was he? He went next, Buffalo? Buffalo. He suddenly started looking comfortable on the field in Buffalo. And that's when I thought, wow, he, he may be at this a while. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say I'm surprised. Uh, but just because he's a great guy doesn't mean he's going to hang around the NFL for seven years so far. You know, it helps him. You know, but uh, I think he's also come along as a quarterback. He always had the arm strength and the athleticism and, and the IQ and, and the maturity 
he needed to develop as a passer as far as getting past his first read and being a natural quarterback and things like that. Sometimes that takes a while. And, you know, he wasn't asked to start right away, so he could sit back and steadily grow with no pressure on him. And I think that helped. Uh, ending it on this, you, you talk about so many uh, jobs in the NFL where quarterbacks don't want to kind of uh, teach the younger. The you know you look at the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, you look at uh, Ben Roethlisberger, the whole Mason Rudolph situation. But you can't really think of many other guys you'd love to kind of be a veteran and a presence like you talked about, and, and Tyrod Taylor being that guy. So uh, we'll, we'll be. Uh, Keep it up with Tyrod or Tyrod, seeing what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, Tyrod around here. He is. Well, one thing I would love to do uh, as we close every podcast throughout the uh, year, I'd love to just give people an update. What's going on on TechSideline.com? What are some great articles that we have up right now, and uh, what can we expect this week? Well, last night I did the Tech Talk Live notes, and I, I basically transcribed them almost word for word. And that was about as forthcoming as Justin Fuente has ever been on, on any radio. And that's a freebie, folks. So even if you're not a subscriber, go check yeah, that out. Go check that out. And if there were subscribers, I, today I kind of did my thoughts and analysis, analysis on what Fuente talked about last night because you can go deeper and read some things into some of his comments that I think are pretty interesting about how they you know, could potentially use Quincy Patterson in a different style of role this year if they want to and, uh, and how the running back depth chart is shaping up. So I think it's pretty interesting stuff. And looking a little further down the road, we, we're really excited about what we've got planned for this fall. Um, we were able to uh, – one of our one of our better writers, a guy who's a really good analyst for us, is uh, Brandon Patterson. And, and Brandon has always kind of been hit or miss. He, he isn't a guy we could count on for one or two articles every single week. But we've got him locked in for this football season. We've gotten him to agree to uh, two articles a week all the way through November. Then we're going to see, you know, what, what's available in December. Uh, but that's something we're excited about because we've, we've always had good content on TSL, but the thing that's really hard to get is the analysis. Here's what happened in this play. Here's what's supposed to happen. Here's how it broke down. And that's the kind of stuff Brandon does. So we really feel that that's going to round things out nicely this fall and, and be some good, consistent content for us. And now we've got the podcast back, and football season starts in 13 days. I think we're ready to roll now. Yep. It's time to start jumping, fellas. Yep. Matt. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our first episode, our first podcast of the 2018-2019 school year here at Tech Sideline. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Looking forward to next week. Yes, sir. Thanks. For Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes. We'll talk to you next week, Hoka fans.